You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Over the past 40 years, Americans' self-reported sleep duration has decreased by a remarkable two hours per night. What impact does this have on our health and welfare? Welcome to our special series, Focus on Diabetes. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, author of You Can Think Like a Psychiatrist, your host, and with me today is Dr. Kristen Knudsen from the Department of Health Studies at the University of Chicago. Her research focuses on the association between sleep and health, particularly diabetes and obesity. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you for inviting me, Dr. Lunt. I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you. Dr. Knudsen, I'm interested in how you became interested in the work that you're doing. Well, to me, sleep is inherently interesting. When I tell people I study sleep, I don't have to explain to them what it is. Everybody knows what it is. Everybody does it. We spend about a third of our lives sleeping, and yet despite this, it's only been fairly recent in medicine that we've started to look at what the consequences are if we don't get enough sleep or enough good sleep on health. And so I think it's important in an understudied area. Don't you feel like people take sleep for granted? I do. I feel like in this country in particular, sleep is considered to be more of a luxury. They don't realize it's important for health. It's like the activity we choose to do last. We have so many other activities to choose from. And people just don't respect it for uh, its importance for their health. One of the most interesting things a patient ever told me about sleep was she said, um, you know, I really don't have time for sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I hear that a lot. I hear people say if we could remove sleep altogether that they would be much happier because they could get so much more done. Let's talk about chronic sleep loss. That seems to be the norm in our culture. How common is it really? I suspect it's really common. It's been estimated that on average people are going to need between seven and eight hours of sleep per night. Yet people report sleeping at best seven hours per night. And there was a study recently that showed that in 2004, among men and women, adult men and women, that somewhere between 20 to 30 percent of them reported that they get six hours or less per night. And that's gone up since 1985 for all age groups for both men and women. So why do you think people are sleeping less now? Well, there's just so much to do during the day that people with our 24/7 society we have activities all day long at any hour of the day we've got the internet there's cable tv we can bring our laptops wherever we want and work whenever we want lucky us and so people are just choosing to do other activities instead of sleeping because they don't know or think that sleep's important. So do you think it's it's just habit or, or this kind of 24-7 mentality as opposed to something greater? I mean, I think in a lot of ways it's habit, but also I think in this country in particular, there seems to be some sort of badge of honor associated with not sleeping very much at night. People are proud to say, I only got four hours of sleep last night because that's a sign that they're a good worker, a productive member of society. They're not lazy. They're hardworking. And it's almost un-American to get a good night's sleep. You know, I think that's really true. I remember back in medical school, uh, down the road from you at Rush, that one of my classmates claimed that he only slept four hours a night and that's all he needed. And we were all so jealous because that meant he got an extra four hours of studying in every day. But, you know, don't we just accommodate to that? Don't we get used to not sleeping as much? Well, it depends on what you mean by used to. There have been studies that have looked at that and and taken people into the lab and restricted their bedtimes for several nights in a row. And after the first couple nights, people were complaining about feeling bad. But after a few nights, that leveled off. They didn't keep continuing to feel worse and worse and worse. So in a sense, they got used to feeling sleepy or sleep-deprived. But if you tested them on a computer test of performance, 
that did increase day after day of increasing sleep loss and got worse and worse and worse. So our subjective feelings did not you know, increase at the same rate as our impairments in performance. And so this sort of suggests that we're not very good judges of how impaired we are when we're really sleep deprived. It's similar to being drunk. The drunker you are, the sleepier you are, the worse you are at judging how impaired you are. Hmm. So those people that claim they do well on four or five hours a night maybe aren't really doing so well. They, I would like to get them into the lab and see just how well they're doing. But we, you know, in our lab, we'll have some people say they're fine and some people who are just miserable and suffering on the same amount of sleep. But the ones who say they're fine aren't the ones who are doing better on our tests. There's no association between how they feel after sleep loss and how well they do. Wow. So the judgment really is impaired. Yeah. So what are some of the consequences of chronic sleep loss? Oh, there's a lot of consequences based on a bunch of different studies. And I'll just list them because that's easiest. There have been studies showing, you know, like I said, worse performance, increasing driving accidents, impairments in learning and memory, so for the medical school student, increased blood pressure and risk of hypertension, impairments in your immune function, increased inflammation, impairments in glucose metabolism, increased risk of diabetes, alterations in appetite regulation, and increased risk of obesity, worse mood, and increased risk of depression. And I may have missed some. I mean, there's a lot of possible health consequences. And not all related to just cognitive kinds of function. Right. That's actually been a more recent discovery for a long time. In the earlier sleep research, people sort of thought, well, sleep is by the brain and for the brain and focused on the brain. But it's been more recent that people have started looking at beyond the brain to the whole body effects and seeing, you know, different areas that are affected, immune system, metabolism. Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Dr. Kristen Knudsen. We are discussing chronic sleep loss. Now, Kristen, your research has looked at socio-demographic factors that predict impaired sleep. Who do you find is at the highest risk? Well, in the study we did, we used what are called wrist activity monitors. It's like a little wristwatch that a person wears, and it counts movements. And what's good about those is we can get a more objective measure of a person's sleep as opposed to self-report. And we use these in a group of 35- to 50-year-old African-American and white adults in the U.S. And what we found were strong race-sex differences in sleep duration and sleep quality. So African-American men had the lowest sleep duration and the worst sleep quality. White women had the longest sleep duration and the best sleep quality. And then white men and African-American women fell in the middle. And these differences persisted even if we controlled for all kinds of sociodemographic factors like age, employment, income, education, children, physical activity. So we do see these race-sex differences. Also, income and education by themselves predicted sleep quality. So people with more income or better education had better sleep quality. And I think it's important to figure out which factors predict sleep because those people at a risk of impaired sleep are also going to be at a greater risk of the consequences. And in our study, that suggests that it's African-Americans, particularly men, and people of lower socioeconomic status. So how do you define sleep quality? Well, it's a measure called sleep efficiency, and it's basically how long you spend in bed and how much of that time is actually spent sleeping. What percentage of the time you spend in bed trying to sleep are you actually sleeping? Okay, so if you fall asleep on your way to the pillow... (laughs) And you stay sound asleep until you wake up in the morning, then you have excellent sleep quality. 
But couldn't that just be because you're sleep deprived and and you have no opportunity to to not sleep? Yeah, there is going to be a combination. Like, so someone who's very sleep deprived or someone who only ever allows themselves four hours in bed each night, they're going to have a very good sleep quality unless something is you know wrong with their they have a sleep disorder. And so there, it's more the sleep duration that's going to be playing a more prominent role in the effects on health. But some people will, you know, try to spend seven, eight, even nine hours in bed and can't get a good night's sleep for one reason or another, and they're going to have poor sleep quality. So any ideas why this difference in African-American men versus white women? Well, the one thing we didn't have a measure of in our study, and mainly because it's hard to measure and I suspect plays a role, is stress. Higher stress is associated with higher levels of cortisol, and cortisol impairs sleep. And some studies have looked at stress and measures of sleep and found that those reporting greater stress do, in fact, have worse sleep quality or worse sleep efficiency. However, it seems like just regular epidemiologic studies of the population done by, say, a National Sleep Foundation, don't they typically find that women have worse sleep than men? Women report more problems with sleep than men, particularly as they age which is sort of contradictory of what my objective measures showed, that white women, well, let me point out, white women had the longest sleep duration, but they still only averaged like six and a half hours. So even though they had the longest sleep duration, they still were, on average, getting less than they should. And perhaps, just like many other conditions like depression, where women do seem to maybe complain about it more. Or more likely to go to doctors just in terms of conditioning as, as they grow up. Mm-hmm. Is there any look at maybe whether this is somehow a genetic issue? There's been very little so far on sleep and genetics. There's some looking at a gene called PER3 that, you know, a certain genotype is associated with reductions in slow-wave sleep and that that genotype may be more common in African Americans. So it's possible that there may be a genetic association. But I think something on a more population level like stress, more you know, societal factors could be playing a big role as well because sleep can be really impacted by those. Now, is there a way, I'm interested in, in the wrist measurement that you used in this study. You know, we try to get a lot of our patients in for sleep studies in the sleep lab. And for many reasons, they often refuse, often financial. Is there a way to perhaps use this wrist measurement in clinical practice? I believe a lot of the sleep doctors have started using that for the very same reasons you mentioned. What it does not give you is sleep stages. And if you're concerned about sleep apnea, it's not going to give you anything related to breathing. But what it does give you is timing of sleep, fragmentation of sleep. And so it might give you a, be a good screening tool for those people you really want to try to get into the lab. So it, it really just measures activity, how much you're moving your arms? Yeah, your wrist. And it's, it's been validated against polysomnography. So it's, it's a good measure of, for what it can measure. And that's, like I said, sleep duration, sleep fragmentation, sleep quality. Mm-hmm. So the theory is when you're asleep, you shouldn't be moving. You're allowed to move some. But after a while, you've moved too much to really be sleeping. Because in exact, especially in REM sleep where you're not physically able to move. You're a normal REM sleeper. Now, talking about this problem of chronic sleep loss, is there a solution? Well, that's an excellent question. And I think that's a question that we need to be focusing on more in the research. Like, what do we do now? To start, though, I think we need to get the message out that sleep is important for health and not just a sign of a lazy worker. And there are some simple sleep hygiene tips that can be distributed to help people start trying to improve their sleep. 
And I think doctors, too, should start asking their patients more about how they sleep and how well they sleep. And patients themselves shouldn't be afraid to tell their doctors if they're having problems sleeping. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly my experience of myself and with the physicians that I speak with is kind of do as I say, not as I do, since most of us physicians have rotten sleep. You know, we have the excuse that our sleep was disrupted to a great deal in internship and residency, and we've never quite recovered since. So I I think a lot of physicians are reluctant to talk to patients about it because then they have to think about their own sleep. Like, well, you're not sleeping well, so why should I? Yeah, well, don't get me started. We're having a lot of trouble when you know, with work hours and trying to encourage different industries to keep in mind that they shouldn't have their truck drivers, for example, working these long shifts because it's dangerous. And oftentimes the answer that comes back is like, well, doctors do it. I'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Kristen Knudsen. We have been discussing the growing problem of chronic sleep loss. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to our special series, Focus on Diabetes, here on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your questions and comments. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. Our new on-demand and podcast features will allow you to access our entire program library. Thank you for listening.